Good morning, and you're very welcome to what could potentially be the final uh, Irish review, anyway, of the Women's World Cup here on FinalWhistle.ie with myself, Raphne Early, and Aaron Clark, based you're in Brisbane at the moment, Aaron, correct? I'm not anymore, actually. I'm not anymore. I've got out of Brisbane this morning. I'm literally, literally just rocked up to the Radisson Blue in Sydney, just just literally three, four hundred meters away from the Opera House. Um, change the change the scenery for a couple of days. Going to take in a game in in Sydney tomorrow evening and head to Melbourne then on Friday. It's well for some. It's well for some. Is everything football related? Or are you going to get a chance maybe down in Melbourne to maybe take a trip up the Great Ocean Road or anything like that? Um, a couple of things planned up. I'm going to go to is it? I can't think of the name of the zoo where you get the boat over. Um, my, realistically, majority of it's not football related now. Would there be a football game or two in it? But but than that, it's just enjoyed it. Enjoyed the next couple of days. The last couple of weeks have been have been hectic and, and try deload a little bit. Yeah, of course. Speaking of football, there is some football going on as we speak. Two games happening in the World Cup. Well, definitely games, not not so much about matches because Vietnam losing 6-0 to the Netherlands at the moment. The Netherlands look set to top that group. That'll be a success story for them. They drew with the US just a couple of days ago. The US, on the other hand, uh, within 20 minutes of uh, potentially having a bit of a banana skin here themselves, they're currently 0-0 against Portugal. Uh, as it stands, they will finish second in that group by a single point. But should Portugal manage to grab a goal somewhere in the last 16, 17 minutes of that game, uh, we could potentially see the defending champions eliminated uh, at the expense of Portugal. So all to play for, I think that game's in Eden Park at the moment. Uh, so all to play for in Auckland for the US. Um, that, would probably, that would in, in a World Cup full of stories and full of shocks, that would probably be the biggest one if, if it were to pass in the next 20 minutes. 100% and there'll be absolutely murder within the US Soccer Federation as well and especially if you look at the last couple of years they've been fighting this equal pay they've been fighting more endorsement sort of stuff in the USA and then if they don't go out and deliver in this World Cup and the questions will be asked even more about them like the thing is as we, we said before they have a lot of aging players maybe it's father time is catching up a little bit on some of, the, some of these players and the youngsters probably just lacked that little bit, bit of major experience. He's seen even beating at the Olympics last year as well. Probably didn't help, didn't help them either. So it could be a tricky last period for for, for the USA. From, from a selfish point of view, I'm hoping they finish second in the group because I'm hoping to try and get to see them in Melbourne. So it'd be, a, it'd be an ideal one for me. Yeah, in terms of, uh, you mentioned the Olympics, of course, Canada. We'll talk about their elimination in a minute or so as well. But the US, uh, frustrated, you could see, against the Portuguese here. Even Sophia Smith, their new darling, um, has just cut a frustrated figure. Been booked, probably lucky not to have been booked more than once. It's just been a bit uh, of a petulant kind of start for her for this World Cup campaign. But anyway, um, we'll see more, I'm sure, of her because I can't really see the US being eliminated here in Portugal not quite able to find anything. But stranger things have happened. Let's talk about Canada for a second uh, before we get on to the Ireland-Nigeria situation. Came into the tournament as Olympic champions in what people would have perceived. I know we talk about the group of death given our relative um, ability in that group. But America, uh, Canada and the Australia were absolutely the, the teams expected to, to come out of that group. And uh, there's going to be a lot of questions asked about uh, Bev Friesman and the Canadian uh, challenge as well. They'll be disappointed with, with how that's gone for them. Yeah, absolutely. But it goes back then to, to Perth last week, from just from an Ireland viewpoint, the fact that the Canadians were there for taking. They weren't great in the opening game against Nigeria either, although Christine Sinclair had the penalty saved. Then against us, they weren't they weren't amazing either. The, the biggest difference against us was the bench. When you're bringing on hundreds of caps off the bench and we're bringing on probably a, com a combined 
20 or 30 caps. It, it sort of it tells a different major experience, got them over the line against us. And then Australia just tore them apart. Australia probably should have won the game by even more last night. And that's that's the biggest thing from, from them. And like it's it's a it's a mad one because they've been another federation like Nigeria who who've been fighting with their fighting with the federation for funding and stuff like that. It's probably disrupted the World Cup a little bit. I seen Christine Sinclair sort of saying yesterday in, in an interview that you know they can't blame that they have to blame the players that they didn't perform at the World Cup rather than blame the off the fields stuff with with the federation over funding and stuff and things like that. But yeah, it's been it's been a, a really really difficult a really really difficult World Cup for them. Like I left the Nigeria Australia game the other day thinking one of the big teams is going out here knowing that it was either going to be Australia or New- or or Canada. And then you look at from an Australian viewpoint, they didn't even start with Sam Kerr. They sort of said, listen, we're not, we're going to hold, we're going to hold off. We're, we're not going to, we're not going to risk it. And despite she, despite her declaring that she is fit. And I think that's when, when Tony Gustafsson sort of gets two and a up, he's thinking, lovely, I don't have to use Sam. I can just keep Sam in reserve. Mary Fowler obviously come back in, haven't missed the, the previous game with concussion. So, it was a good way from Australia to bounce back against against Nigeria. And for them, the way the way the results fell, they couldn't have been more happier because it looked as though they were going to get in at the start of the night. It looked as though they might get England in in Brisbane next Monday, where instead now it's it's a trip back to Sydney, back to the Olympic Stadium in Sydney to to, to play what looks to be either Denmark or China in the in the in the round of sixteen. And you're probably thinking, okay, lovely, <laughs> we much prefer that than than having to play Eng- England at, this, at England at this stage and. Like it's been a weird old group, but then again, a lot of groups have been weird during the World Cup. Breffney, a lot of results are probably. I was going to say that too. We've had a lot of surprise uh, placings in the in the final group stages. Nigeria qualifying is probably one of them. I think also uh, Norway not topping that group, and Switzerland getting first place in in the group ahead of uh, the Norwegians is probably another. And it's it throws a bit of turmoil maybe into plans that teams had kind of charted their progress through the bracket at from round of sixteen on. And now all of a sudden they're not playing the team they expected to be playing. They're playing possibly a stronger team who may have just failed to deliver in one of the games in the group and ended up in second place rather than top in the group as expectations would have had. Um, speaking of that, the other day, uh, Norway, of course, finished second in their group behind Switzerland, as I mentioned. Uh, we had a situation, two teams already qualified, Japan and Spain, yesterday morning. I watched the game and it was very clear. Spain were beaten well in the end by Japan for... Like I, I showed the statistics of the game to my nephew, who'd be a football fan as well, and I said, which team won this game 4-0? And he's like, uh, well, I'd obviously say the the like the like away side on the app, but the, given the fact that you're asking me the question, it's got to be the team with 23% possession. And I was like, yeah. And I pulled away my hand, and it was like he was like, oh, how did they lose that game 4-0 when they did 77% of possession? And and he's right. like It's, it's crazy that Spain lost, but I don't think Spain wanted to win because I think they knew... They wanted to play uh, in the same stadium the following week against a lower-ranked side by finishing second in the group. And I think we saw in the in the I think the Olympics ba- back in Beijing potentially, or, or, or where two sides got thrown out of the badminton tournament for trying to lose to get a better placing for the knockout stages and a, and a kinder draw. And and uh, I think we saw a little bit of that from Spain yesterday. I think obviously they wanted to win the game, but when they went behind, they didn't really at any point ever really raise the intensity at all. I think they were quite happy to just take the L and, and get the kinder draw. It's it's quite concerning though when you talk about a team having 72% possession and losing 4-0, you know. It, it, for, 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 
77 percent. it was 77. crazy wow for someone who for someone like looking in from the outside sort of looking at this you'd be sorry you'd, you'd ask a 50 million questions off the off the back of it like um i understand from a spain viewpoint if you can avoid norway and get switzerland you're probably gonna want to do that but it doesn't look it doesn't look good it doesn't it doesn't show a good light either and that's probably something that we're going to hear a little bit more about as the as the tournament goes on, and like you, you, you're then in a situation, the same thing as well with uh, with Sweden in their last group game. But although for Sweden, Sweden don't have to lose by a bucket load in order to in order to finish second finish second in the group after after hammering Italy during night. So yeah. it looks like that we're going to have a, a couple of big clashes in the last sixteen, and it makes it makes it for a better tournament. I think the fact that they're clashing early instead of clashing late on. Absolutely, but talk to me a bit about some of the teams that have produced some really impressive performances this week. Australia being one who've been kind of flattered to deceive in the opening two games. They've now gone and had a big statement victory against Canada. Uh, we're seeing the Netherlands putting up a big score against Vietnam. Probably not much you can read into that, but it is still uh, a, a big score for, for a team that got to the final four years ago. Uh, the US may be in a bit of bother, eight minutes to play in that game, still scoreless. They go through as it stands, but uh, one freak incident or a break away from being eliminated from the World Cup. So um, we're seeing, we've spoken about it so often in this tournament, how the gap between the haves and the have-nots is getting tighter and tighter and tighter. I have to stop you here. We've been talking about this and we haven't even mentioned Colombia against Germany. I watched it in the fan zone in Brisbane during the night and the Colombian fans just went, I was watching with someone and I turned around just a couple of minutes earlier. I said, imagine if Colombia scored now in the next few minutes and all of a sudden Linda Casado, who who actually had collapsed during training a couple of days earlier, pulls a lovely one out, right foot into the top corner and you're sort of thinking, wow, Germany got the penalty and then the equaliser thinking, oh, it's only going to be one winner and then Colombia go and score again. Like I think Emma Hayes said on ITV, the biggest difference now between now and maybe a couple of years ago was the fact that so many of them Colombians are playing in big clubs, playing in big, in big leagues. They're not all home-based players. They're, they're not all playing in, in, in poor leagues. And I think that's probably what's helped FIFA here in the World Cup is the fact that the players are playing in better leagues. The players aren't just playing in poor leagues. And then, like, I think that was part of the, the problem the last World Cup when when you seen the likes of the USA winning 12 13 nil. They were playing against poor poor teams, and if they wanted on an early day, they could have scored twenty. They could have scored more, and I think that's probably the difference is that a lot of a lot of bigger a lot of players from the smaller nations are now playing with better countries and uh, better teams, and, and it's help it's helping their development. Absolutely, uh, Jill Rude on the score sheet again, her second of the game, seven nil now. Brooks also with two goals, Van der Donk uh, coming in with a goal there as well for uh, the Netherlands. They lead seven nil. It's a fairly big thumping. Uh, of a, a very poor Vietnam side in, in that instance. Uh, have you been following it, this game at all? No, no, I literally, I literally landed just as it literally landed just as it was starting. So I've been, I've been trans, transitioning. I actually wanted to follow the USA when I'm going to get out tonight and watch the England game in, in, in the fan zone in, in Sydney just to get out and go and experience it. I watched the, the England Denmark one as well in the fan zone as well. I've been trying to get to as many you know fan zones as I can when 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 I'm when I'm not at a game because. Fans have been great crack. They've been busy. They've been electric and like the big screens up. Like it's 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 nearly the second best thing, especially because there just tends to be a lot of fans from these these countries in in these cities. Like the amount of Colombian jerseys yesterday, there, there was sort of on 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 what Saturday Sunday, there was sort of two fan zones in, in Brisbane. There was like the main fan zone, and then behind there's like a little there was a screen set up and like where there's a lot of indoor seats and. 
they, they were both full. There must have been around three, four thousand people at the at the two fan zones, and it was just mental That's and class. it was electric like. That's class. Um, in terms of I suppose the Irish interest in the tournament, I suppose competitively our our interest was ended last week with defeat to Canada and results elsewhere. Uh, we did have one that final game against Nigeria yesterday morning. Uh, nil nil on the face of it, a good result considering what we had up to now. But realistically, uh, we had chances to win it. Probably the stronger of the two sides, definitely the side that wanted it more. Nigeria seemed quite happy no more than Spain to sit back and just go, okay, Canada are getting thumped. We just need to not get crucified here. We'll be okay. And, and they knew what they had to do. Um, your thoughts on the game, having been at it and the, the atmosphere and, the, and the, the performance? Yeah, talk about the atmosphere first. 24,000, 24 odd thousand at it. I'd say there must have been less than a, less than a handful of Nigerians. It was just all Irish, and it was there was it was a great atmosphere. Probably the worst attended game in the stadium, but that was sort of to be expected when when you have an opposition who aren't gonna don't really come to the sort of games. And then you're looking at with the two group games being on at the same time, Australian fans aren't gonna go and watch Ireland play when Australia are on telly at the same time. They're gonna go and watch that in the fan zone. So crowd was probably a little bit disappointed just considering those 49,000 for, for the two other games that being there but yeah it was it was a game where like we didn't know what what to expect in terms of changes she only made the two change Heather Payne come back in and Lily Ag come in and a bit surprising at the start to see her go with four central midfielders but she tried to play Denise O'Sullivan a little bit higher and Sinead Farrier a little bit higher the two of them tried to get on, on the ball a little bit I was speaking to Denise after the game and Denise said she needed that performance she admitted herself that she hasn't been great in the first in the first two games, and from an Ireland viewpoint, they're probably going to look back on it. And while they're proud of the, of, of getting a, a first World Cup point, probably a bit disappointed that they didn't go and capitalise and, and take all three points. Because you're right, what you say, Nigeria were sort of when they knew the score of the other game, they were sort of happy enough. Because you have to think, it's sixty thousand, it's it's an additional thirty thousand dollars potentially for each player for making the round of sixteen. So if you're in Nigeria, you don't want to go and open the game up and, and and have a have a firefight where you might concede a couple of goals and then end up end about a World Cup. So for them they were they were content to play to play England next next Monday in in Brisbane. But from an Ireland viewpoint, there was some there was some positives. I think for me there was also some negatives. I think our our ability to hold possession at the back was quite poor. The amount of times we gave the ball away too easy, passed the ball straight to them. Like there was one one stage where I think it was Asanya was straight through and one on one with Courtney Brosnan, and you expect her to bury it, and she puts it wide. You're sort of thinking, oh, that's a that's a massive let off. And from an Ireland, while they were they were they were okay going forward, they don't need one shot on target. I think we need to talk about Courtney Brosnan's save as well in the second in the second half. It was a it was a brilliant save. I think realistically, a draw is probably a fair result. I don't think either side deserved to win it, but we probably could have gone on and win it if won it if we wanted to push on a little bit. Substitution wise, making subs late on sort of intense showed Vera's intent that she was happy enough with the draw, didn't really want to change it and sort of go for it. We didn't see Louise Queen going up top for Ireland, going to, to push her to three points. So I'd say overall, I'd say Ireland are happy enough with the draw. Yeah, when you look back at the, the overall three games against the Canadians that we knew coming into the tournament were in a bit of free for all, they've kind of proven that by being eliminated at this point of the tournament. Um, the Nigerians again in, in in dispute with their federation. Potentially, we could have done better. We could have taken three points from that game yesterday. We could have picked a point in Australia. Could have picked a point or even a win against Canada. We did have the upper hand. We had the lead for for a long period of that game. Um, 
is it an opportunity missed that maybe we could be on that flight to the to the second round game and, and be in the uh, the hat for the last 16? Potentially, yeah. But the, the biggest thing here is it's so many Ireland players lacked experience to know when to, to capitalise and when to push on in, in big in big tournaments. And I think that was something Denise was, was so evident about that. The gulf that they realised when coming into a major tournament compared to just playing a normal international friendly was so big. And it took them that long to long to adjust. Like you look at performance wise, it was twenty minutes against Australia, forty five against Canada. Maybe roughly about forty five was decent again. Maybe a little bit more decent again last night. But they haven't put in. They haven't been able to string together a full ninety minute performance. And I'd say that's probably the most disappointing thing. The thing of it. And you're right in what you're saying. There's two nations there who were in a bit of disarray. There was an opportunity to to maybe take something from them. I do. I do think though that Canada, uh, that Nigeria aren't aren't a uh, their ranking is just absolutely atrocious compared to where they actually, where they actually are. I'm looking here at Portugal and the game's just t- ticked over into the first of eight minutes of added time here. Um, Portugal is a, is a country that traditionally Ireland would have expected to probably beat every time they play uh, or at least be in the reckoning in and around that level of, of competition. And here they are, uh, nil-nil with the world champions um, going into injury time, third game of the group. They're in the mixer. They, get, they grab a goal, they go through. Um, we weren't anywhere close to that when it came to, to to the second round of games, never mind the third round of games. Um, and, and that's kind of the measure I'm talking about is is the teams that traditionally Ireland would be in and around in terms of world rankings or expectations have outperformed us. Portugal have just hit the post. That's how tight it is at the moment. They had a glorious goal opportunity there to put the Americans out. Uh, and we're not we're home from the World Cup already. Now, obviously, part of that is, is fixture scheduling. But that's my point. Is did were our expectations good enough? Were we uh, did? And I suppose I'm going to bring the coaching aspect and the strategy of the squad into this. Did we set our expectations bar both uh, publicly and privately within the squad too low? Probably yeah. Probably yeah. And like I, I like I, and I'm not. I've been critical of things in in terms of setting expectations but even with you and the reason why is because it's just that we were never we were always going to struggle the way she sets up in a world cup because it was always going to be a defensive minded it was always going to be in trying to nick something there was never an up never a, let's go let's really go and have an opportunity at these teams like i listen i'd rather lose every game the world cup 3-0 and actually go and give absolutely full gun blazing and say right great well done when you're sitting back, when you're sitting back, you're sort of you're you're inviting you're inviting pressure. You, you're just hoping to nick something on the break. Like even you look at when scored against Canada, had an opportunity, had more opportunities than maybe to extend it, couldn't extend, couldn't extend it. Whereas one of one of one of the, the good teams when they have Canada on the ropes like that, like the like the Australians, they'll go and put two, put three past them, put the game to bed. Where we just didn't have that ability to put it to bed. And do I think it's due to? It's fully due to player due to the player player personnel on the team, not not fully, but I I do, I do think we are lacking an out and out goal scorer up top. There's no there's no doubt about that, but I think the tactics the tactics didn't really give us an opportunity to really maximise and push on, especially when especially when you look when you look back, and that's probably one of the things that irks me a little bit in the World Cup is that Plan B was just throw Louise Quinn up top and hope for a long ball in and hasn't worked any time. She's 
She's done it the two goals that Louise Quinn has scored in the last couple of years for Ireland. Both came from set plays against Georgia, against Georgia away. So it's not as if when we throw Louise in rope, we're getting a listen. No disrespect to Louise. Louise has been a, an absolute soldier for Ireland. I think she's been very good in the World Cup defensively. But I just think as an attacking option, it's not really it's not really a proper option. And it was, it's just as if get the ball wide, try to throw, throw, throw it into the box. Let's hope we get ahead on it where there's no actual plan B with the team. And, and, and that was probably the most frustrating thing during the World Cup. Should we have brought Leanne Kieran in? I know we both kind of said we should ahead of the squad. Should she have been in there, injury or otherwise? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to turn this slightly and I will answer the question. She said it was due to match fitness. Leanne played 30 minutes for West for Liverpool in the second last day of the season. Lily Ag hadn't played in four months. So if you're using an excuse of match fitness between one and another when someone has made an appearance... That excuse doesn't wash. I would have, I would have brought Leanne Kernan. Personally, I would have brought Leanne. I would, have, I would have given Leanne the opportunity, and I would have said, "Listen, right, let's go." Even worst case scenario, Leanne breaks, Leanne breaks down before the tent. You give her that extra couple of weeks, and you say, "Okay, if you break down, we'll just, re- we'll just replace you." But you have to give someone. She would have offered so much more. Different. I, I felt sorry as well for the likes of Abby Larkin because I think Abby Larkin was thrown into games at times where. The second one in particular, where the game was not made for at all. The Canadians had a plan. The Canadians knew exactly what they were going to do. Do it. It brought into an, into a game against Nigeria where they're extremely physical. Marissa Shiva started throwing to the wolves a little bit after the first game, and confidence probably took a knock. And it's 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 one where like you look back on the World Cup, how many clear cut chances did Ireland actually create in them three games? Not a lot. Uh, any. Uh, as Portugal almost score for the second time in injury time. The only real is- chance is probably the, the only real clear cut chance is probably the, and even if if it is one, is the Kira Caruso one where the, where the keepers puts it out when when Lucy Quinn plays the low ball against Canada. Oh, I'm trying to remember now. I can't remember off the top of my head. Just just before the just before the corner, the the, the, the build up to the corner where Anya releases Lucy down the right flank. That's probably the only clear cut chance. Yeah, absolutely. Like, look at last night just as an example. Four shots, one on target. Yeah, it's it's. Sorry, I'm a bit distracted by the US game because this could potentially be the story of the World Cup as Megan Rapinoe uh, absolutely makes a high. Yeah, I, I think I think I think I've changed my mind on the story of the World Cup so far, though. Oh, go on. I think it's Nigeria against Australia. Yes, it was just unbelievable watching them what they done to them they just absolutely blitzed them and the best part was was sitting in the stadium watching the watching the Australian fans absolutely lose it and they just couldn't believe it then then you look at come towards injury time 11 minutes and you're thinking oh no we're not getting a hometown a hometown chance here and then they score early in injury time and the problem for me in the stadium is is that because I wasn't sitting in the press box the big giant screens don't have the actual little clock underneath it so no idea what's left. And I was texting people and they're like, oh yeah, well over 11 minutes. I was like, oh here, just blow this whistle. And it was it was just a, a magical night, a magical night in Brisbane. But the thing is, Rafi, I think we still could have a couple of Marty's in the World Cup and that's that's the joy about it. Talk to me about um, post-match yesterday because obviously the game itself was disappointing. But everybody at home is talking about the post-match. Uh, Vera's comments in the press conference, Katie's tweet, um, both probably ill-judged. I think it's fair to say, uh, but I think given the, the circumstances, I understand Katie's more than I understand Vera's, if that makes sense. Vera seems to have had this. Um, now, listen, I, I, admittedly, I'm, I've not been a fan of Vera's for some time, um, definitely over 12 months, probably longer. 
Um, I thought she should have been replaced in December when the report came out. I didn't think she should have kept her position. Um, I think the FAI acted too quickly. And now they've kind of realized they acted too quickly and they've done the Irish thing of just let's not talk to her uh, and just let her contract run down. I think she's the only person in the room who doesn't realize that's what's happening. Um, And I think it's probably a good time for everybody to part ways. She leaves with a World Cup on her CV and a first point for a debutante at a World Cup and um, and Ireland move on and, and the players, the FAI, everybody just moves on from the whole situation. Your thoughts on, on how it's gone so far for, for both, I suppose, the, the players who have failed to back Vera at any point over the last three, four weeks when they've been asked directly? It's been an absolute PR disaster for the FAI. That's probably the best way to put it. And the problem is, is this should have been nipped in the this should have been nipped in the board by the FAI and just literally if they had turned put out something and said, especially when Query started asking and stuff like that, as soon as the first player gets asked, I think the press conference in Dublin set the tone for the fact that it was allowed to continue to, it was allowed to continue to go in that way. And the player and the, the media the guys were, were always going to ask the questions throughout the tournament and and the opportunity and the opportunity they would get. I know Courtney was asked again last night last night as well and sort of swerved it swerved it a little bit. But like for me it should have been, it should have been dealt with the entire situation a lot better. It should have been completely. It should have been put to bed before they come to Australia because the fact that every every time a player speaks to the media, that's the question they're getting asked now. It's it's not great on the players either. It definitely throws the focus. It definitely throws the focus away, and you can see Vera got, Vera was probably getting more and more agitated with, with that sort of thing, and then. When you come to last night, even before we we talk about the the Katie and Vera instance, she's had a pop up at a player after every single game. It was Marissa Shiva after Australia, Nifahi after Canada, and now Katie after after the Nigeria game. So, for the people who, who probably haven't seen the instance, so what happened is you before, can, you, before you give that the final whistle has blown in both games seven nil. Uh, Netherlands win and the US have progressed despite their best attempts to get thrown out of the tournament uh, Portugal heads and hands all over the place but it is uh, the US who progress a second place in that group and we'll talk about those permutations later sorry continue about the post-match from the game so obviously with the fact that anybody who hasn't seen it Katie goes is, is shown sort of going over to the bench telling Vera that Vera that we Ireland need fresh legs now whether it's right or wrong or the captain is saying that at that stage, Ireland didn't need fresh legs. You could see Ireland where Ireland were struggling. They needed fresh legs on the pitch. Whether it's right or wrong that she makes she makes that call, that's that's irrelevant. And then sort of there was a question about that asked in the press conference, and Vera sort of went along and, and was asked about it. And then she was asked more than about about, Kate, about Katie as well. And that's where you, you sort of see the tweets coming out where she says, "I'm the co- I'm the coach, not Katie." And I think from a from a media point media viewpoint from from a an FAI standpoint, I think the best thing there Vera should have said is probably, "Listen, I'll, I'll chat to Katie, and uh, this I'm going to chat to Katie privately, and we'll, we'll we'll discuss it privately. I don't want to comment on it, but the fact she commented on it, and you could see the, the lads were like, "Oh, you know, they knew they knew it was going to blow, and there was follow up questions and follow up questions. The one disappointing thing for me, and I think Vera is absolutely out of our out of our out of order here, is the fact that Vera brought Sinead Farrelly into it." Sinead Farley was never mentioned by Katie. Katie mentioned fresh legs. For the fact that Vera actually went into the press conference and, and named Sinead Farley, that's nearly trying to throw, throw something between Katie and, and Sinead when, in fact, Katie just said fresh legs. So but does not happen in every game. Like, yeah. I, I think every game of football I've ever played in, in 20 games. 
you, you've had players coming off going either maybe I'm tired, replace me, or let's, let's change something. Let's make a change. And I think it's 70-odd minutes into a game that you need to win to restore a bit of pride where you know you have the upper hand if you can get a breakthrough. Um, I think it's a fair comment from any player, captain or otherwise, to go, can we change something? Because all you're doing is asking a question of the coach. You're not demanding anything of the coach. Uh, it's Fear who's made that an issue now where she's come into a press conference and basically outed Katie McCabe as someone who is asking for X, Y, and Z. And I suppose people maybe who've never been in that environment don't really know how those conversations go from, like, idealistically, yeah, maybe the coach has all the full say, but the coach still does have the full say and she imposed it. And it didn't change anything. Bringing players on, we all know bringing players on for the last five, six minutes of a game is pointless. Uh, you mentioned two changes earlier. Like Dan mm-hmm. Caldwell coming on to three minutes into injury time is borderline insulting to a player of, of Diane's um, history with, the, with, with, the, with Ireland. It's probably potentially uh, going to be her, her last appearance in an Irish jersey, uh, given her age profile, given the way the squad is at the moment. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of people Maybe you hang up the boots at the end of this World Cup campaign. Like, can it get much better than that? Really, in their playing careers. Your thoughts? Probably, probably not. But just on the Diane Caldwell situation, I was delighted to see Diane get onto the pitch. I for for someone who's give, been such a servant, I think for the fact of I get where you're coming from with with being so late so late on. The questions will be then is what about Nia Fahey as well? That would be your question asked, as you say, Anya, Louise. There, there could be five or six who, who decide to go. I'm not sure whether they will or not. I think what happens next in terms of the coaching situation will probably have an, will probably have an awful lot of a bearing on, on some players' decisions. But I just couldn't wrap my head around the Vera and Katie situation last night with the fact that the easy option is to, is to just say nothing, just say, listen, I'll chat to her in the dressing room. We'll have a conversation together. We'll... we'll but the fact of when when she comments on it and then then she gets asked for other questions, Katie's tweet didn't help anything. I know she didn't. It's just the the, the lips closed emoji, zipped emoji. But Katie's tweet didn't help anything. But Katie's just frustrated. Katie's frustrated at being dragged into something that probably didn't need that need to materialise. And now it's sort of a, a if you look across social media, it's a player power struggle. Is it is it Vera? Is it Katie? Who's who's in charge? And that's sort of a the wrong narrative to have. The question I would have now is if Vera doesn't, if we, as we expect, Vera doesn't get kept on, will we hear more stories that may come out of the, of other things that may have happened in, in, in dressing rooms and stuff like that? Because it just seems as though the seeds have been set now, the fire the fire's been stoked that any chance that Vera potentially had, even though it was slim, it was very, very slim are 100% gone. Like She was adamant that it's not her last game in charge, but I think now her comments after that have sort of 100% taken that out of out of her hands. And I, I, I think from an FAI viewpoint, and as you said, I think it probably is time just to cut ties and, and say, listen, you've done great stuff for Irish football. Um, congratulations for getting us to the World Cup. We really appreciate that, but it's time to go, go our separate ways and, and try something different. And goes back to what I've said to you all along, though, Brefany, I think an Ireland manager has to have a good relationship with the National League clubs, and Vera didn't have a great relationship with the National League clubs either. I think that's important for any future of Irish football, and there was a massive divide between a lot of what went on with maybe home-based sessions, stuff like that, that, like, you're dra- you know, dragging players up to Dublin for a Wednesday to play 11 v 11s or to play 
things with no no real plan and things like that. It just sort of felt as if it was just a how would you say to to appease the couple of players that may make the squad from, rather than actually it's have a proper. Just a token gesture. And I, I disagree with you to a certain extent. I don't think Vera needs to be pally-pally best buddies with, with the League of Ireland teams, but I do think there has to be a respect there on both both ways. I don't think there is. I don't I don't think there is either. And I think um I think the question that was put to Vera this week about whether she'd be in Dublin for the um for the post-tournament homecoming, I think it's a fairly valid question because there has been instances in the past where the travel arrangements of the entire squad have been disrupted to suit Vera's personal wants. Ukraine, Ukraine away. That's a perfect example a couple of seasons ago. And this isn't a new development. This is all over the last two or three uh, years. Just, just for this, much, just to give a bit of context. Yeah, you so in terms of the Ukraine away, so what happened with Ukraine away is that they went to chartered flight over to Ukraine. Then they went back through domestic flights, but they all went back through Amsterdam. So the players who were based in the UK had a short layover. The players who were based in the Republic of Ireland someone had up to an eight-hour layover in Amsterdam airport, and they weren't even allowed to leave the airport. So the players were literally sitting around an airport for eight hours, and it was the, and and when you could have potentially gone other ways, and that's the sort of thing that we've seen. We've seen it. We've seen a good bit of that, and like that's you'd love to know, like what sort of freedom was given towards was given to Vera by the by the guys in in in, in the the operations team because. Any other coach that wouldn't be happening. If Vera wants to fly back directly to 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 Amsterdam, they they they'd help and arrange facilitate that. But you'd never you'd never see the team sort of being brought back that way either. No, and I realise that uh, Schiphol is a is an international hub airport, so maybe that was to give the the operations team a a break. Maybe that was the best option available out of the Ukraine at the time. This was obviously pre uh, outbreak of the war in Ukraine as well, so it would have been, wouldn't have been as big an issue maybe as it would be today. But um, I think if you're an Irish, if you're a coach of an Irish team, you go with the team and then you make your way home, same as the players. Whether that's to a London airport or to a, to Dublin, I think you have to be seen to be with the Irish team. And if I'm in those situations where I'm a, a Dutch national living in Holland. Uh, with an Irish team, I go back to Dublin and then I make my way home. And it's a sacrifice of maybe a half a day of my time, but that's part of the job as far as I'm concerned. Or you cut ties in in Kiev and you make your own way home from Kiev and you let, let the girls off at the airport. That's just... But I think the coach, in while they're getting paid, uh, what I can only assume is a very good salary for the job that essentially is only really... A hands-on to be in a physical place at a physical time a handful of weeks over a, a yearly period this is an exceptional year because of the world cup but over a four-year period you're probably looking at maybe six months in camp over four okay. years hmm, yeah roughly oh, if it, if about six months if, if even, if, if, if even. now i realize there's other other it's a huge job like i'm not I'm not denying that you've got personal appearances, you've got promotional appearances, you've got um, scouting, you, you're going to look at players, you're spending time on the phone or, or Zoom or whatever with, with players, uh, checking in, you're dealing with the backroom staff. It's a huge job and she's busy throughout those four years. I'm not I'm not underplaying the time that goes into the, the role. It's probably a 12-hour-a-day a job all year round, but it's reasonably flexible within that, if that makes sense. And, and yeah. You, you put yourself out around those camps, and I think she should have done better on that. I can see, and I don't think there's a, there's a lot of uh, support here for Vera. Um, mostly from I people, understand. Mostly from people outside the game or who 
or who genuinely, I've said this a few times on the show, who, who genuinely believe women's football started when, when Amber Barrett uh, scored that goal in, in Hampden Park. And we both know that's not the case. Um, Vera comes in with a lot of baggage. There's that report from the US that we keep talking about. I think we have underplayed how important that is. And if we're going to be serious about protection of players and child protection in particular, um, we can't be seen to be supporting or backing anybody who has crossed any lines in that respect. I don't think there's there's no black and white. There's no gray area in that situation. You're either fully behind um, athlete protection, athlete uh, and, and, and child protection, because while there mightn't have been children specifically involved in those instances, there are children involved in these, even senior international camps. There's 16-year-olds this World Cup. We've had 16-year-olds in Ireland teams in, the, in Vera's time. Um, we need to be realistic that these are environments that children are in. And if we're going to be serious about child protection and specifically athlete protection and focused on athlete performance, we can't have any gray area in that situation. And I think Vera delves into that gray area. How far into it? Who really knows? We'll probably never know. But the fact that she's in that gray area and there's even question marks, I think is a problem for the FAI that they've... Look how quick, look how quick England got rid of Mark Samson. When things came to light, they literally were like, we can't. The only thing is, though, Brefany, I, I, I do want to give her a lot of credit because her methods have been madness, some of her methods have, but she has brought Ireland to a World Cup. She has brought on an awful lot of things, positive things within, our, within Ireland as well. We haven't always enjoyed the football. We haven't always enjoyed what's being done, but I think she does deserve a lot of credit for helping get that group to the World, to the World Cup. Like when when Colin Bell left, you sort of thought, mm, "What's gonna happen? What's gonna happen next?" He sort of started making some sort of changes when he got rid of some players he didn't like. She brought some of them back, so I think the fact she has got her into a World Cup, she deserves an awful lot of credit. I think the players deserve a good amount of credit as well. But it's it's sad the way it's sad the way it's ended because it, it hasn't ended well for anybody. That's the thing. That's the thing about it is we all have our opinions on it. We all have our opinions on who's right, who's wrong. Whether we liked Vera, whether we didn't like Vera, I've been on the record and said at times I've I, I haven't always enjoyed watching after watching a side play. I've I've interviewed her quite a lot of a lot of times. I've had mixed experiences with her, but it's just sad the way it's ending because the way it's ending is 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 not good for anybody. It's it's nearly two thousand and two side pan all over again, manager versus manager versus captain, and it's not a good look for Irish, for Irish football, and it's it's sad and. It's sort of really taken the, the the dent off the fact that we got to a first uh, a World Cup. But listen, there's a lot of there is a lot of positives there. Um, I wouldn't say mean, I wouldn't say it's not good for anybody. I'm sure Tyler Toland would be quite happy at her international prospects if Vera doesn't get a renewed contract. Uh, a few others as well, potentially who haven't been in favour under Vera, uh, might be quite happy to see uh, a fresh slate come in and, and maybe a. A chance to re-establish themselves as an international footballer. Yeah, potentially, but a couple of the players, you know, I will say is if 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 that if Vera does go, they need to put themselves in the shop window. They need to have their their on make sure they're they're performing at club level. Because some some players in the last couple of years have had who've been sort of tossed aside, haven't had the best of club years. Maybe it, it, the whole situation with Ireland has affected them. I for one would love to see Tyler Tolan get back to her best. I'd love to see her back in a in a in a, in a green jersey and sort of getting back playing. I'd love to see Deanne Kernan have a have a solid fit season for Liverpool. The good thing is, like I know, 
I know we brought in quite a few players, but I know from speaking to the likes of Sinead Farley, Sinead Farley's still committed to the Ireland cause. It wasn't just a World Cup and gone. Aoife Mannion sort of set before the World Cup. She's committed as well. So there is some quality player, experienced player, experience players there, maybe not with an awful lot of caps, but we need to just make sure going forward with the right blend of youth and experience and players are picked on form, not picked on credit in the bank. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's some really exciting prospects uh, across the board for Ireland. Uh, really excited to see what the likes of Abby Larkin and Izzy Atkinson can bring to this squad over the next uh, four to six years as well. I really think there's there's a potential there. They're both a little bit raw, but I think there is definitely the potential there for uh, for some emerging stars uh, across the um, the various leagues that they're playing in. Abby, of course, still with Shamrock Rovers in the in the Women's National League but uh, or the League of Ireland Women's Premier Division but it'll be interesting to see how long that continues uh, it's a pretty good setup over there in, in um, Tala so maybe we'll see uh, her shine. Don't forget they're also adding they've also added Tala just what we're talking about you mentioned Robbers Robbers also added Scarlett Herman in the last couple of days so another exciting prospect to play along a player alongside Abby someone who, who was also capable of potentially in the next couple of years making that step up towards senior football as well I think realistically from from an international viewpoint, I think first step for me is we need to establish an under-23s international team and just sort of bridge that gap so we don't let the next generation of players who maybe aren't ready to play senior football at 17, 18, that we don't let them just dwindle away for the next couple of years and we sort of nurture and develop them as well. And we, we look to progress on and, and we look to have as much players coming into internationals at senior level with as much experience as possible. Yeah, I think yeah. something needs to be done. I I go different. I, I personally think the junior and, and national leagues is, is a better platform to uh, to develop those players. But uh, it remains to be seen where that future will lie. We're running out of time here, Aaron, because I know you want to try and get to the uh, to the fan zone to watch England potentially uh, beat China in the next few minutes. But uh, an upset could be on the cards. England not quite got their full two feet in the second round just yet, but it would take a bit of a minor miracle for them not to do so. We take, a, I think, a two-goal defeat to China and Denmark to win by at least, uh, obviously, by, by one. Uh, but it would need a fairly... Uh, Specific set of circumstances for that to happen. Can you see that happening, or England? No, I think I think I think England should be too strong. The only thing is, though, Kira Walsh is out. Thankfully, she hasn't done her ACL. Watching that the other night, the first thought was ACL is gone. Thankfully, that's not. But it, it means that the likes of Georgia Stanway has to step up for England and sort of deliver. And I'm excited to see if she can do it because she's an absolute smashing prospect. Interesting stuff here, though, Brefney. This time last year, I was literally on the way home from the Euros final after England had won the Euros yesterday last year. So does it does a really good side in that England team? They just need to make they just need to get that cl- that click back, and if they can, there's no doubt they can go far in the tournament. But I do think they'll beat China tonight. For the groups done so far in the in the competition, uh, group winners probably not the ones expected. Netherlands coming out over the USA, Japan over Spain, bit of a surprise there as well. Australia not really much of a surprise them top in the group, but Nigeria in second place definitely is. Well, Switzerland again another shock as they overcame Norway um, to, to top that group as well. England favourites to do it in Group D, Group F. We see France and Jamaica top of the pile. Uh, hard to see past France beating Panama and and being comfortably top of the group at the end of the campaign yeah it's hard it's hard to say that hard to see anything other than that the only thing is i'm interested in the jamaica game though i'm not gonna lie i'm really interested in that because the fact that jamaica got the draw against against france if jamaica could somehow get a draw against brazil things things in my things in my turn we might see we might see them in the, in, the, in the last 16 
Um, looking forward to actually getting to watch France France for the second time this World Cup. Obviously, seeing them the other day against Brazil, and I think France are going to be a, re- a really, really strong team this World Cup. Yeah, Group H, Colombia, top of the table. In a surprise, uh, they face Morocco in um, probably a game that they can get afford to lose reasonably heavily in and still progress to uh, to the, the knockout stages. Morocco very under pressure. They're minus five goal difference after their uh, capitulation on the opening day to Germany. Germany plays South Korea. A win will see them into the last sixteen as well. I think I think Colombia are going to go and batter. I think they're going to go and batter um, Morocco, and I think it could, be, I think it could, it could end up in the case that Colombia top. If Colombia top that group, then it'd be very, very interesting. I'm not, I can't remember which one is. Do they play? I think they play the winners of France, France's group. Oh, yes. Imagine exactly. Germany, Germany, France in a potential last sixteen. Yeah, or Colombia, Brazil in a last sixteen as well, uh, or Colombia, Jamaica. Lots to play for. Uh, the last group we haven't quite mentioned is Sweden. Top six points. Uh, from their two games in the Italian group, uh, South Africa and Argentina, both in a bit of bother. They face the top two sides. Can't see either of them getting a win, so I'd expect Sweden to top that group from Italy. Yeah, I think so. I think Sweden Sweden, Sweden looked very, very good the other day, and I think they'll just cruise through again. Absolutely. Well, listen, uh, your thoughts then, uh, I suppose, on the big decision. I think we probably know where we're headed, uh, given the discussion, but the big decision for the next, uh, I suppose, four to six weeks ahead of the Nations League start in September, October is who will be in charge of the Ireland team. If you're in charge of the FAO, if you're Jonathan Hill and you're the the people in charge of that decision, is Vera Powell in the dugout for that game in in the Nations League? I think Tom Tom Ellis takes the game. I I can't see them if I can't see them renewing Vera and the thing is I don't think they'll potentially appoint a new manager by then. I think we could see Tom Ellis take the, the first two Nations League games against Northern Ireland and Hungary. Listen, it's another person who probably hasn't done himself any disservice in terms of being in and around the senior squad. Could be a, could be a potential candidate. The question is, is if Vera doesn't get it, then are they going to go internal? Are they going to go external? That's where it becomes interesting. What type of manager they're going to go? What type of budgets they're going to go? But I guess that's a conversation we'll, we'll probably have when we when we know further news. Yeah, it's a- Interesting times ahead for everybody involved in women's football on the island of Ireland. Of course, that big clash against the north north of Ireland in uh, the Nations League will take place in the Aviva Stadium. Probably uh, not early enough to get your tickets. If you are thinking about maybe going along to that, do grab your tickets. Do support the the game. Do support the the sport of women's football in the country by showing up, whether you're from the north or the south of the country, and come down and support your girls and hopefully make it a sellout and make it a, a an event worth talking about. The girls deserve it after their efforts over not just the last couple of weeks, but over years and years and in some cases decades in that Irish jersey. Um, no more so than, I don't know if you caught the uh, the boo-boo by George Hamilton in the commentary in injury time yesterday. Uh, Darren Colwell, 84 years of age. You look phenomenal for 84, but I want to know how you were playing underage for Ireland just 15 years ago at that age. Uh, obviously a mix-up in the date of birth and the age, uh, but uh, very funny nonetheless. But I'm sure Darren Colwell won't be appreciating the, uh, the analysis. I've seen, it, I've seen it all over social media last night. I just all you could do was laugh. Yeah, for anyone who didn't spot, I think Paddy Power were the first ones to tweet about it. Uh, they just put a screenshot. No surprise. And it was very funny. Uh, 80, uh, George Hamilton introduced her as the 84-year-old uh, <laughs> as she came into the game. Obviously, born in 1984 is probably uh, the more realistic situation. And did he crack himself or anything? Hmm? I didn't see uh, the video. I, I, didn't see the, the, I, I didn't see the full end of it. I, I popped out at... Uh, 
from where I was watching the game at that point. I didn't actually see Dan come on, um, and I missed a bit of the commentary, but I saw the clip afterwards. But it cut off before he. But I don't believe he did. I think he went to it. I think Stephanie kind of added something, and then they just continued with the discussion. But uh, funny, funny days uh, watching Ireland fans. Of course, it's uh, it's always fun to to see other people make mistakes. We make plenty of them on this show as well. Aaron, thanks a million. Enjoy the evening. Enjoy the games and. Uh, uh, don't do too much celebrating of the fact that you're on the other side of the planet, but safe home when you do come. But we might chat to you before you leave the, the uh, Southern Hemisphere before the end of the week. Sounds good. Talk to you soon.